As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to London's Leadership Podcast. We want to make it possible for anybody to lead and everybody to thrive. Hello and welcome to London's Leadership Podcast. Today we're speaking with Will van der Hart, who we've had on the podcast before. He's a director of the Mind and Soul Foundation. He's written several books on emotional and mental health and well-being. So today we're going to speak on how to cope in a crisis. Will, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Fernando. It's great to be back on the podcast and I um, hope everyone's doing okay at home. Um, it's great to be talking today about dealing with crises and um, yeah, how, how are you feeling? Are you, are, you guys, are you doing okay, you guys? Well, for me, the isolation is quite difficult not being able to go out, but that's why I wanted to speak to you so that we could all learn how to cope in a crisis. You're the number one expert that I could think of, so tell <laughs> us. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the number one expert, but it's uh, very kind of you, Fernando. It's great, it's great to be here and think about about what is a crisis. I mean, I think the first thing is to actually begin to explore what the crisis means to us. Um, because of our uh, stage in the world and development, we, we have an awareness of crisis which we never would have had before. So even 150 years ago, we wouldn't have been aware of a lot of the dangers that we're facing. E even 90 years ago, we could have been facing uh, disease in this country and not being aware of it. So part of the crisis that we have is a crisis of our awareness. That is that we're aware of um, this invisible danger that we're facing in the coronavirus and we're aware of how it's impacting the world around us and therefore how it may impact us. But the key, the key point here is that obviously it's an imminent and genuine crisis but equally our awareness of it can mean that we scale the crisis beyond our immediate circumstances. <clears throat> so if you're feeling comfortable at home right now and you're sensibly self-isolating you're relatively safe in the scheme of things. But because of what we know in the media, you know, the circumstances, for example, in, in Spain and in Italy, our sense of the danger or the risk that we're facing is far greater than it might otherwise be. So this is a slightly new crisis for us um, as, a, as a species because our awareness of danger has never been more uh, comprehensive and detailed. And I think that awareness 
is both a benefit because it allows us to prepare for the risk, but it's also a, um, a challenge because it can mean we become overactivated by the risk or we can overestimate the risk that we're facing. <coughs> now, that overestimation of risk can cause us all sorts of psychological and physiological changes, and they are a stimulation of what we call a limbic system. So that's the way our body prepares for um, threats. So we become overstimulated, we receive a lot of adrenaline, we might find it hard to sleep or to eat, and we might become very, very um, activated and kind of nervous. And therefore, we might find that we're in the kind of red zone of anxiety over the long period of time, which is, which is very detrimental to us. So as far as the crisis is concerned, we are facing a genuine crisis in our nation and in our world. But we're in a unique situation in that apart from a significant, significant but still small proportion of us are going to be physically okay in this crisis. So the threat that we feel to our lives is probably not statistically borne out in the threats that we're feeling as we're watching uh, the news. Um, we already know that more than 90% of us will be physically well you know, as a, in response to this virus, but we are always, obviously mentally anyway, tuning into the idea that we we'll probably will be in the um, sort of four to six percent of people who become more seriously ill. So what I'd encourage us to think about is to stay connected to the reality of our circumstances. And obviously, if you're one of the people who are very ill, then the circumstances that you need to attune to are, are quite different to the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the main population. And it's important that we recognize that there is a, a personal crisis to address and there's a global crisis to be aware of, but those two things aren't the same. That our personal crisis is not, if you like, the global crisis uh, which we're exploring uh, through the newsfeed. So that's the, that's the kind of first important thing I think to become aware of. And well, I, I heard you um, talk about this recently and you gave, you gave some, some important kind of advice and steps on how somebody could, could work their way, um, how they could cope in a crisis. And you talked about the importance of gratitude, creativity, yeah. and routine. So how could people kind of implement those things in their day-to-day -day life if they're, if they're not used to kind of those words or, or that, those habits? Sure. So, I mean, I think before we even go down there, there's probably three simple steps to think about in, in self-isolation. Um, the first one is that we're isolating, but we're not isolated. Um, psychologically, we know it's really important not to become isolated. And therefore, I'd encourage you to use uh, social media and your phones and computers to stay in touch with friends and family every day. So have at least one meaningful conversation every day and make sure you're connecting with others in the virtual space because isolation is detrimental to your mental and emotional health. Connecting is good for your mental and emotional health. So we might be isolating, but we don't need to be isolated. That's the first point. The second point is around gratitude. We know that gratitude training actually affects our brain. It actually increases, well, it uses something called neuroplasticity, which is the way our, brain, our brains can develop and change to create new tendrils of connection and change our mood effectively over the long haul. So even though we're in a difficult circumstance, there are an awful lot of things that we can give thanks for, be grateful for. So my encouragement is to spend time every day being grateful if you're in relationship, be grateful to people in relationship with you. If you're living alone, be grateful for your circumstances, your neighbors, your health, your well-being. Try and practice gratitude every day 
and that uh, uh, that gratitude training will transform your experience the more you tend to see things positively the more positive things you tend to see so the encouragement is to kind of stay connected with gratitude and practice gratitude it's a muscle that grows stronger the more you exercise it the less you exercise it the less able you are to manage it and and how would you and how would you say how would you advise people to to do that would you just say oh just say it out loud because i tend to i have this journal and i found that journaling during this time is quite helpful because it helps get all everything that i'm thinking down on paper and then i tend to write three gratitudes just like in the morning oh it's a sunny day i'm grateful for that i think what 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 ways would you advise if people they've never done a gratitude before what would you say what's a good way a good way of inst instilling the habit yeah, I mean, I think I mean, simple things like post-it notes. If you've got some post-it notes in your house, stick some post-it notes on your mirror, your bathroom mirror, with three things uh, to ask yourself three questions. You know, what am I thankful for today? Who am I thankful for today? And what am I looking forward to for tomorrow? So give yourself uh, someone to th be thankful for, something to be thankful for, and then something to look forward to being thankful for. And those three things will keep the cycle of gratitude growing. The third question, what am I looking forward to tomorrow, is helpful because it, it, it continues the cycle of gratitude into the next day. And it, and it creates an anticipatory gratitude, which means I'm looking forward to something uh, that I can then be grateful for. And that tends to keep the wheels of gratitude turning. So you can use Post-it notes. You can use the notes app on your phones. Uh, you can obviously write a list or journal, as you're saying, is really helpful if you want to write things out more fully. Um, quite a lot of people use a gratitude diary over five years where they write one thing they're thankful for every day for every day in their year and then they go back through the next year and actually they can see what they were thankful for on that day the year previously now that has a massive psychological benefit because people see their lives in gratitude throughout the year and over in the fourth year you're writing and looking back over you know three previous years of things you were thankful for and actually that has a really positive effect on people's mental well-being so gratitude journals gratitude diaries and gratitude training are generally good for your mental health you can find out more about them at minusoulfoundation.org if you want to have a look uh, we've got some articles around that so so the first one is obviously isolated isolating but not isolated the second one is around gratitude and the third one is around the ideas of uh, catastrophization and this goes back to what i said in introduction around this crisis being both a global crisis and also a personal crisis and recognizing those two things are quite different if we mix those two things together we are left with the impression that the global crisis is our crisis as in um, we are most likely to die and uh, we are likely to go into economic recession in our homes if you like uh, we are likely to lose our jobs we are likely to uh, be part of some sort of global you know breakdown of some kind now that might in part be true but in our immediate circumstances that isn't currently true and this is the key thing about understanding the importance of not catastrophizing so catastrophization is applying um, is, is engaging with the problems of tomorrow without the strengths of today so this is the situation where we we naturally go to the end of the rainbow in terms of our anxieties and start thinking about things that haven't happened yet. And they're always the worst case scenario. So we're always thinking about the worst thing that might happen. And that's very natural because humans with their developed limbic system um, are partly adaptive, that is successful, because of our ability to predict future dangers and then defend against them. 
The trouble is that that prediction can also become problematic because we find ourselves constantly uh, engaging with the what-ifs, which actually haven't occurred yet. Um, and that keeps us in a high level of stimulation. It keeps us from relaxing. It impacts our immunity. You know, we become down. Uh, we become re you know, depressed. And uh, we begin to struggle. So um, if we spend too long in that high adrenal zone, we basically become physically and emotionally exhausted. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy for us right now. It's not healthy for our relationships. It's not healthy for our mental health. It's probably not that useful for our physical health either. So the key thing is to actually try and stay present in today. So what are the strengths of today? What can you do? And, and stop predicting what, what might happen. Uh, instead, sort of stay real to what, what you can do in your situation. So agency is really important in this. There's something very disempowering about being locked down, but actually... Uh, you can either accept that disempowerment and kind of be complicit with it, or you can try and become productive in your environment and therefore um, find new adaptive ways of being, which will be positive for your well-being over the long haul. So it's really important that we don't spend our whole time catastrophizing. And one key point here, I think, is that I don't think anyone should be watching more than 30 minutes of news media a day. Uh, the reason is that we are normally looking for um, reassurance in news media. So we want to find out whether they found a vaccine yet for this disease. We want to find out whether, it's, um, whether the cases are beginning to drop in our country. We want to find out whether other countries have returned to a way of free freedom and free living. But our desire for reassurance only stimulates more anxiety. So we find ourselves consuming news media, constantly looking for something that's going to let us out of this cage. And actually what it does do is it floods our minds with all sorts of new anxieties. So I would, I would encourage people... To, to watch 30 minutes of news in the morning, but to stay away from the news for the rest of the day. And if you're going to do anything well, I would say don't watch news media before you go to sleep at night because it will affect your sleep because you'll be in that heightened, aroused state of problem solving over through the night, even though you're sleeping and your sleep will be of a very poor quality. So that's actually not a really healthy strategy, uh, if you like, for coping well in this particular crisis. And one of the things that, 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 that you said I thought was really um important was staying present today and i think that um now being being in isolation um i think people a lot of us are, are having to face um face our fears or face the things that we normally tend to push to one side because we we can be busy we can be um just keep going and not not think about our emotions not think about that that thing and now all of a sudden that we're stopping um, all those things are kind of rushing to our mind and and i guess if, if some of us aren't equipped to know how to deal with those things, it can be quite scary. And that means instead of facing those things, we, we, we catastrophize and think about all oh, the future, what's going on outside, instead of focusing on what's going on in, in, in me or in us. So what, what kind of tips or advice would you give, Will, for, for people to, to stay present, to be in the moment, to face the things that, that those, those scary emotions that, we don't want to face that we try to avoid what what kind of tips would you give to people going through that right now so one of the most um celebrated and um well thought of psychologists around the, the sort of ideas of stress is a guy called dr jim white a, a scottish uh, psychologist and he's done a lot of really important work around how we manage stress over the long haul and and he he has a he has a sort of 10 word mantra for anyone who's trying to deal with stress and, they, they, and it goes like this face your fears be more active and watch what you drink 
Now, it sounds absolutely simple, but it's actually genius. 10 words that can change your relationship with stress. Face your fears, be more active, and watch what you drink. Now, the first one, you've already mentioned there, face your fears. Many of us, um, particularly people maybe listening to a leadership podcast, are highly activated people. They're successful people. Interestingly, part of their success might be born out of their heightened cognitive um, tension, their sort of their, ten, their, their, their obsession potentially, or their um, anxieties which drive them to distraction. So a lot of very successful people have a very active mind and that activity leads them to kind of generate or drive their energy into productivity. So some, some very um, successful people are also quite highly strung people because actually that, that discomfort drives them to try and put their energy somewhere. Now what happens when we go into this experience of solitude is that that energy cannot be dissipated through activity in the same way. And so all of these fears that you're describing, they become more uh, conscious and, and, and actually that's quite painful. But I would say that we've got a great opportunity to slightly change the hamster wheel experience of life for something a bit more connected. And so I, 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 was, I would encourage people to, to sit with their thoughts, even if they're uncomfortable thoughts, until they realize actually they're not potentially dangerous thoughts. You know, sometimes we, we, we want to get away from anxiety. Oh, my, mind is, my mind is kind of a wild beast. I need to distract it. And sometimes it just needs to be tamed, not distracted. And this is an opportunity for us to tame that. Um, and again, you might want to engage with some mindfulness practice to enable uh, your mind to come to a peace, more peaceful place with some of those anxious thoughts. You can find more about that sort of practice online. But some basic meditation, uh, some present awareness practice, some mindfulness practice to help you, if you like, come to terms with some of that wrestling. What people tend to find is that the first 48 hours of stillness are the most painful, and that that first 48 hours gives way to a sort of peace that they haven't experienced for years because they've never allowed themselves to go through the pain of the first 48 hours. Um, so there, there is sort of, if you like, a peaceful place on the other side of the initial resistance that we have to anxious thinking. Um, but again, if people are struggling with intrusive thoughts, particularly with uh, suicidal ideation, my encouragement is always to talk to your GP or NHS provider through the 111 service or obviously uh, calling your GP direct. So if you feel like your mental health is under threat, then definitely reach out. I know that doctors are still very much taking consultations online around mental and emotional health. So if that's a problem for a listener, then don't hesitate to reach out early and speak to your mental health provider through the NHS. So um, there's something initially there anyway around uh, that, that kind of the, the power of, of overthinking and anxiety uh, in terms of how we find peace. But there are other practices uh, in our house. As I, as I said with um, Dr. Jim White, space your fears, be more active sounds like a contradiction of what I've just said. But I think this isn't about frenetic activity. It's about meaningful activity. So being more meaningfully active for someone might be in this time of lockdown, it might be carrying on working, or it might be writing, or it might be crafting, it might be you know, DIY at home, it might be family games. But the idea is that we don't just sit in our negative thinking and allow stress to overwhelm us. And a level of distraction is a helpful distraction. But the main thing is that we're actually mentally engaged with what we're doing. At the moment, in my back garden, I'm building a chicken coop with my children. Um, it's taking a long time. I'm not even sure if we're going to be able to get any chickens. But the activity of all being together with hammering wood and sawing 
and putting netting up and things like that is actually a really healthy activity and it's got us out of this constant conversation around the coronavirus into something more productive so the second one is really be more active and the third one is watch what you drink and i think this is a really really important one it sounds like the most obvious and practical it's not just alcohol because caffeine can be a problem with stress too but it is important that we recognize that that we will have unconscious longings when we're stressed and one of them is to sedate ourselves and at this time of lockdown it is very tempting for people who might be occasional drinkers to drink more heavily uh, and become more reliant on alcohol um, and that's hugely problematic and detrimental to someone's mental health and actually exacerbate stress in the person and in the family. And so my encouragement is to try and keep drinking to a bare minimum during this, uh, this lockdown and to be quite disciplined about drinking. If you do want to have a drink, try and stay within the recommended government units guidelines, but also try and alternate to not drinking every day. So maybe have a day off and then have another day when you might have a glass of wine or a bottle of beer, but try to avoid heavy drinking, early drinking, or going over the guidelines suggested for appropriate alcohol intake uh, that are with your NHS providers. So those three things, space your peers, be more active and watch what you drink, are really important stress-related advice. Um, and hopefully um, that's, uh, that will be some help. I think um, thinking about the stages of a crisis might also be a, quite helpful for us all to think. I was um, reading about uh, Vietnam veterans um, and particularly who, who survived the Vietnam POW camps this week. And um, I think there were thousands of American soldiers who were made POWs in Vietnam. Unfortunately, only, um, only 591 actually ended up returning, <coughs> excuse me, returning to the US. And um, asked, uh, asked why they hadn't made it. One commander, James Stockdale, who was the recipient of the Medal of Honor, said, that's easy, it was the optimists. And I thought that was really telling, that actually the optimists failed to survive these really brutal um, circumstances of isolation and torture. And um, the fact that Stockdale would even say that seems remarkable, that of all the people to survive, it wasn't the strongest people who survived, it wasn't necessarily the physically weakest people who died, it was the mental attitude which would determine whether people were able to cope or not. And, and the pessimists did better which sounds, um, from a psychological point of view, like a crazy thing to say. But I think it makes a lot of sense. There's a phrase, a hope deferred makes the heart sick, um, which is in, in, in the Bible. And um, that hope deferred um, actually is this sense of optimism, which gives way to sudden um, loss, and then optimism, which gives way against sudden loss. So some people are thinking, oh, well, we're going to be out of isolation by the 13th of April. Um, that was the kind of initial suggestion, but I can pretty. I'm not. I'm not on the sort of board of Cobra, but I can pretty much guarantee that we're not going to be out of isolation by the 13th of April. And um, unfortunately, when we long for this to be over, we are constantly looking for clues for it to end, and our optimism gives way to real sense of loss. So, if we're going to live through this uh, crisis well, it's not going to be because we're constantly optimistically looking for the next moment when this is going to end is it going to end at easter is it going to end in april is it going to be all over in may will it be done by june that kind of attitude doesn't actually help us to survive well what we know is having a much more realist or potentially pessimistic view will help us to prepare and adapt 
to these circumstances effectively. If we constantly think that we're going to be let out of isolation tomorrow, we won't actually adapt to our new circumstances. And I think that's what Stockdale was suggesting. So some of those POWs were in those camps for years. If they, if they thought in their minds, I'm going to be out of here tomorrow, when tomorrow came, they'd be suffering with deep disappointment. But if they thought I might be in here for years, then they began to adapt to their environment and live with it like it was the new norm. Now, as harsh and horrible as those environments were, they were able then to be resilient over the long haul and cope with those environments. And ultimately, you know, like Stockdale, 591 of those pessimists actually survived and returned uh, to the USA. So attitudinally, I guess I'd really encourage people to stop being unduly positive and short term in your view and take a slightly more pessimistic view about the length of this isolation and then try and adapt to the isolation accordingly. Now, there are three stages of a trauma. Um, there's what we call the heroic phase. This is the phase when everyone tries to like, be the hero and kind of, you know, they're, they're trying to homeschool their kids in school uniform, they're decorating their house, they're making funny videos to share with others, uh, they're doing all this positive stuff. And that heroic phase will last for a season. And then that will give way to a much, much more um, disillusioned phase where people become angry, uh, frustrated, and you'll hear a lot more people raging against this lockdown or against the scientists or, you know, wh why haven't we got the vaccine that we've been looking for? Um, people will find that period a lot harder. That period of, of, of disillusionment will then give way to a period of restoration and hopefulness. So the three phases are the heroic phase, which we're in at the moment, then the disillusion phase, and if you like, then the recovery phase. But we have to um, plan ourselves to migrate through those three different phases. And it's very hard to predict a time when you might not feel like you're being very heroic, but that's quite normal and should be expected. So if you move out the heroic phase and you start feeling very tired, very frustrated, you're now in the disillusionment phase. Now, you can't necessarily do anything about that, but you can be self-aware enough to go, okay, I realize now we're migrating through these different stages of crises, and actually there's potentially new fruit, new positivity, new opportunity coming uh, in the recovery phase. It's really important to actually engage uh, fully, if you like, with the nature of this unfolding progress through the stages of uh, uh, trauma crisis. And um, in hopeful remaking, I believe that we'll all find kind of new lessons and we will feel like be better uh, equipped for life in community as a result of what we have experienced in loss. Well, thank you so much. Brilliant, brilliant point. So just to recap, um, be aware of the crisis and, and what the impact actually is. Um, second, we're isolated, but not isolating. Um, have one meaningful conversation a day, practice gratitude on post-it notes in a journal, um, try and buy a five-year journal, which would, would be a great habit to start today. Um, it's important to understand catastrophization and not think too much about the end of what's happening and, and over-dramatize it, but think of the present, being present today through mindfulness, through um, different activities that you could just focus on today. And Jim White said, face your fears, um, face those 48 hours of maybe facing your fears where it might be more difficult. But when you get past that, you experience a peace, which you probably haven't experienced in, in a long time because nobody normally passes those 48 hours. Be more active, 
um, which sounds like a contradiction of the first one of being present and, and stopping for a while, but actually learning to how to how to be active even in these moments and watch what you drink. Sometimes occasional drinkers during these times can can drink a bit more and become over-reliant on it, but stick to the recommended guidelines. And then be aware of the stages of a crisis. The heroic phase, delusionment phase, and then a restoration phase. And those are just the phases. So if you feel yourself going through them, it's absolutely normal. Did I miss anything? That's right, absolutely. No, no, you've done great, Fernando. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, staying relational connected is really, really important. Ultimately, you know, we, we recognize that we need to stay connected to do well. And, um, you know, we, we, we sort of understand that, that connectivity, like, really helps us to, to grow. Um, and if you can work this stuff out with a friend, if you can have meaningful discussions, you know, on, on Skype or with a member of your family, um, that, that will, that will uh, really transform your experience. Because um, ultimately, this is, this is an opportunity to learn and grow in leadership, as well as it is uh, an experience to endure. And I think that's, there's an opportunity here. Um, uh, Peter Fogarty, who's a, another great psychologist, said that adversity turns into trauma when the mind experiences itself as being in isolation. And this is definitely adversity, but we don't need to allow our minds, if you like, to experience isolation. Even though we can't be physically proximate, we can be mentally engaged, which is why it's great that you're doing this podcast, Fernando. Hopefully people can stay mentally engaged and learn throughout uh, this struggle that we're in right now. Great. Will, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all these amazing points. And thank you so much to everybody listening. See you next time on London's Leadership Podcast. If you would like to work together, ask us questions or even get involved, you can email us at hello at londonsleadershippodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you and see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.